You don't have what it takes. That was the message of last week. For those of you who weren't here, you can listen online as Pastor Lisa talked about the condition of the heart of humanity. We live in a reality around who we are as human beings. A biblical worldview that speaks to the brokenness and deceitfulness of mankind's heart. And it reveals our need for being saved from it. Listen, here's what's interesting. We live in a culture, we live in a society that really truly believes that we as human beings at our base are good and are right. And if we just have enough time, we are progressively moving towards a utopian society. Listen, a biblical worldview does not share the same sentiment when it talks about humanity. It just doesn't. When I hear people talking about philosophy and coming together and the humanity's goodness, and if we all come together united, we will get there. I get very suspicious. I get very suspicious. Some of the worst atrocities that we have in human history came from this idea that men and women at their core are good. If we all come together with a like-mindedness, we're going to build the Tower of Babel again. We're going to have a utopian society. Believe it or not, there was a time in my life when I couldn't reach stuff on the top shelf. Now, some of you thinking, some of you thinking right now, you're like, you're like currently sitting there going, oh, Lucas, the struggle is real. In those times, I had to depend on my mom or my dad to make the reach for me. They had to step in and make the reach for me. Uh, I can't tell me how many times I've been in a grocery store. If I could get a buck for every time I've been in a grocery store where I've helped, I'm trying to, I'm trying to say this gently, vertically challenged individuals <laughs> to grab stuff from the top shelf, uh, I wouldn't have to pay for groceries ever. That's sort of my spiritual gift. And there's, there's really two options for the vertically challenged. To either go without, to go into that grocery store, see that on the top, and go without. Or the second is to ask for help. Is to ask somebody like me for help. Now there is, there is a little known third option. Uh, Lisa took it, and it was marrying a tall guy. But if you don't have that option... Either you got to go without or you got to ask for help. And like I said, despite the popular ideology and philosophy of, of this post Christian, post modern country, I'm here to tell you that you don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes to get the good stuff off the top shelf. You just don't. Now, now keep in mind that I'm talking about humanity as a whole. And, and many of you here today, you, you've come to terms with this reality of your heart and your condition. And you've taken steps to invite Jesus in. And so I want you to just to kind of separate the two. When I talk about humanity as a whole, you don't have what it takes. And let's, let's dig into kind of the main thing. If you're taking notes, I'm going to ask you to write this down. And... And if you're taking notes, write it down on paper. But I think more importantly, 
whoever you are, wherever you find yourself, whatever your idea of religion and church and all of that, just really wrestle with this statement. Let the Holy Spirit write this on your heart. Are you ready? You don't have what it takes, but Jesus changes everything. You don't have what it takes, but Jesus, he changes everything. Now, now I'm not going to lie. I had originally just worded this statement simply as Jesus changes everything. That was, that was the big idea today, was Jesus changes everything. But the more and more I wrestled with this, the more and more I thought about it, I, I'm, I'm so convinced that today, more than ever, we are fighting against an ideology that is straight from the enemy's playbook. This humanistic ideology, this idea that humanity is progressively getting better and, and moving towards a utopian society, where, where we're once and for all going to kill the, the conservative and outdated practices of a biblical worldview. This is, the, this is what we're living in. This is our circumstance. This is our country. This is our town. This is our reality. And to put our heads in the sand and pretend as a church like it's not happening is foolish. Because the moment you put your head in the sand, the world begins to influence much more than you give it credit for. The enemy begins to twist things just enough that it puts you off course just enough that you find yourselves into circumstances and places that God never intended you to be. You don't have what it takes, but Jesus changes everything. We're in the middle of building the Tower of Babel once again. And the church of Jesus needs to take a hard look at their paradigm. A hard look at what is influencing their perspectives. Because in the last days, there will be a great falling away, the word says. There's going to be a great falling away from truth. And here's what's going to happen. How, how many know the truth of scripture has a very high standard? I mean, if you start reading the Bible and you start going through the practices that Jesus calls us to, it's a very high standard. And a lot of people are scared by that alone. But the church also has a very high capacity for mercy and for grace because that's what Jesus calls us to. So a very high standard, but a high capacity for mercy and for grace. But we need to we need to not shy away from this high standard that Scripture calls us to. Because in the last days, many people are going to look at what we teach and what we preach. It's already happening. And you're going to go, you know what, I don't feel like that's. And they'll go and they'll surround themselves by teachers and preachers that'll tell them what they want to hear. Not what Scripture is telling us. Not the biblical worldview. It's so important that we get this. You don't have what it takes, but Jesus, he changes everything. So, so there's my preach for today. That's it. That's my preach for today. All right? So now we're going to transition to a little more of a teach. All right? So we're going to unpack how does Jesus change everything? And why is it so vitally important that we understand both our condition and God's grand solution for the problem of humanity? The problem of sin, the problem of brokenness. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis 3, verse 20. 
Genesis 3, verse 20, right at the beginning of your Bible is the first book. And as you're turning there, how many know, how many of them know that the, that the Bible is not a book? The Bible is a library. How many know that? And so when we turn to Genesis, we're turning to a narrative. We're turning to a book in the Bible, which is a library of books, a collection of books. Genesis is a narrative. It's a historical account of what God is doing. And so Genesis 3, 20 to 21, Adam and Eve, they've fallen from grace of their own free will. And now they're naked and they're ashamed. And here we see the first shedding of blood ever to occur in all of human history. And many of us miss this. When we read this narrative, when we read this historical account of what happened, we miss this. This is the first time the blood was shed but it was shed because of sin. You ready? 21 of, of chapter 3 in Genesis. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. You ever noticed that before? Where do you think those skins came from? They came from a sacrificial animal. An animal had to be killed for God to take those skins and to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness, to cover their shame. What do we know about sin? Sin, sin entered the world and what came? What was the result? What was the prognosis of sin? It was death. Death entered the world. And the only thing that could cover their brokenness and their nakedness had to be an animal or animals that died to cover them, to clothe them. And this is the first instance in Scripture of what theologians call atonement. Atonement. So here's what atonement means. The action of making amends for a wrong. The action of making amends for a wrong. You see, the penalty of their sin was death, and the way of forgiveness became death. Something had to die to cover their sin and their shame, and an animal had to die in order to cover it. So now fast forward to first century AD. Jesus arrives on the scene after thousands of years of a sacrificial system being in place for the covering of the sins of humanity. And here's what they would do. They would take a perfect lamb and they would bring it to the priest and the priest would have to kill it, would have to shed its blood to cover the sins of the people, to stand on behalf of the people and ask God to forgive and cover their sins. And ever since the beginning of time when sin entered the world, this is the way in which God ordered the atonement the amending of, of the wrongs of humanity. And it's, it's important to understand that they took a perfect lamb. They took the best of the best. It had to be the best of the best of the flock, the perfect and unblemished animal. And, and looking back, we can see that right from the beginning, God was foreshadowing. God was giving us an indicator. God was showing us that someone was coming that would be able to step in once and for all. And now it's not lost on me that I'm teaching an Old Testament sacrificial system 
to a bunch of people in the 21st century who live on the west coast of BC in Powell River. Okay? And so when, you're, when I talk about them killing animals on an altar to cover sin, you're disgusted. How could God do that? Okay? You're feeling all sorts of stuff. I, I totally get that. I want you to take that disgust, take that feeling, and I want you to take it and direct it now at sin. Because the only reason they had to was because mankind chose to rebel and let sin enter this world, let brokenness enter this world. And all of those feelings that you may have picturing this perfect lamb being slaughtered on the altar, I want you to take those and direct them at the sin and the death and the brokenness and let that inform you of just how, um, how much sin just sickens and breaks the heart of God. But then Jesus comes on the scene. Remember, you don't have what it takes, but Jesus changes everything. Jesus, who is God, came into the world born of a woman. And this is significant because Jesus needed to be a man to carry out his mission. He needed to come as a human being in order to carry out this mission of atonement, of making amends for our wrongs once and for all. Fully God and fully man, he lived a sinless life for 33 years upon this earth. He was perfect. He was unblemished. This is so significant because only the perfect, only the unblemished lamb, only the best of the best could cover and atone for, make amends for, bridge the gap between us and God, cover the sins of humanity. But here's the difference. Jesus did it once and for all. Jesus did it once and for all. It's because of Jesus that you're not bringing your sheep to me right now. And we don't have this ugly, disgusting, bloody altar up here. Because Jesus did it. Jesus took the sins of the world upon himself. And he did it for everyone. Fully God and fully man. He made a way for humanity to be covered and forgiven from their sins, their brokenness. He made a way for us to come before the Father God in relationship once again. By the way, that's what we were created for. Many of us were looking in this world for so many things. We're looking just for anything to fill us, to give us fulfillment, to give us life. And one thing after another leaves us empty. Jim Carrey's got a great quote. He says, I'm going to paraphrase. He says, I wish everybody could become rich and famous. I wish everybody could become powerful so that they could realize that it's not the answer. That it doesn't meet that need that's so deep and intrinsically in us. Now, here's where things get a little weird in the culture of today. All right? When we talk about Jesus, when we talk about Jesus as the way to heaven, the way of salvation, right? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But here's where things get a little weird in our culture. And this is an old philosophy. This is an old theology. The church 
at times takes this work of Jesus to an extreme. And, and I want to address that because I think it's important. It's a, it's a theology called Christian universalism. Christian universalism. And, and here's what it teaches. It's the view that all human beings will ultimately be saved will ultimately go to heaven, will ultimately be in the presence of God in the end and restored to a right relationship with God. Christian universalism. And I'm, I'm going to admit, guys, I mean, this is, an old, this is an old theology, but it was made famous just, just a few years ago with a book called Love Wins by a, a preacher named Rob Bell. And he kind of reasserted this idea of, of Christian universalism, that everybody's going to go to heaven, that everybody in the end is going to be saved because Jesus', Jesus sacrifice on the cross has covered all of humanity's sins. And I'm not going to lie, that would be a much easier gospel to preach. In, in fact, if that, was, if that was the truth, I'm not going to lie to you, I would, probably wouldn't be a preacher. If that was the truth, I think I'd probably go do something else. Here's the problem with this, this idea, this theology. Right from the very beginning, humanity was given free will. Right from the very beginning, the, the privilege of choosing. Uh, worship doesn't exist without free will. Worship doesn't exist without free will. Love does not exist in the absence of free will. If there is no free will, you are simply programmed to love. That's your software. But free will allows us to love. Free will allows us not to love. Free will allows us to worship. But free will also allows us to walk in rebellion. And to walk contrary to the things of God. It's both a gift and it's something we have, to, we have to talk about when we talk about what Jesus did on the cross. So here's what we believe. By the way, people are going to talk, people talk about hell a lot. In this culture, nobody likes to talk about hell. Okay? Hell's a reality. What is hell? You can name it whatever you want. There's a lot of metaphor for hell in scripture. Lake of fire. Um, the Abraham's bosom, separateness from God. There's a lot of stuff going on when, when God talks about hell. A lot of imagery there. But here, here's the truth. It's separateness from God. But C.S. Lewis, he has an interesting take on hell. He said, hell is locked from the inside. Hell is locked from the inside. It's not locked from the outside. It's not God sending you to hell. It's locked from the inside. It's you choosing it's you with your free will, this great gift that God has given you. It's your choice of what to do with Jesus. Here's what we believe. We believe we have an all-inclusive Savior. That Jesus died and rose again for all of humanity. He took the sin and brokenness of every person, past, present, and future. And like any gift that has been given, it also needs to be received. It also needs to be received. If I come to your birthday party and I give you a gift, I offer you a gift, 
and you just blankly look at me and do nothing. Well, first of all, I'm never going to come to your birthday party again because that's really awkward. But that gift is not given until it's been received. That, that gift is not truly given if you take it. And here's what some Christians do. Some quote and unquote Christians that come to church every day, every week. They've received that gift. All wrapped up and nice with a bow. With a tag to so-and-so from Jesus. And here's what they do. They put it on the mantle. I would go as far to say that gift has never really truly been received until you begin to unpack it and explore it and find out what's inside. So the question remains, how do we receive this gift of atonement? How do we receive the gift that Jesus, through his shed blood and his resurrection from the dead, conquering sin and death once and for all, how do we receive this gift? The Apostle Paul says it this way in Romans 10, 9 to 13. Romans 10, 9 to 13. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scriptures say, Everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. If that's too much to remember, let's boil it down to three things. Can you remember ABC? Can you remember A, B, C? Here's A. If you're taking notes, this is just a great tool. If you're a Christian for a long time, this is a great way to just kind of walk through the progression of, of what it means to be saved. A, admit. Admit. Admit to God that you are a sinner, that you are broken, that you're in need of a Savior. You don't have what it takes. But you need to admit that. You need to come to terms with that in your own way, in your own moment, in your own heart. You can't depend on your parents. You can't depend on other people. You can't depend on the faith of your spouse. You have to come to terms with the condition of your heart. And Paul says, admit, admit to God that you are a sinner. And then B, believe. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God and he died and rose again. Believe. And why is it so important that he died and he rose again? Because death is only part of the sacrifice. The sacrifice was death. Jesus on the cross with all the sins of humanity placed upon him taking all of our brokenness upon himself. And in that moment, for the first time ever, himself, the Son of God, separated from the Father because of sin. This moment of profound darkness, this moment of profound brokenness upon Jesus was for us. But it didn't stop there. 
It couldn't stop there. If in order for the work to be finished, remember the first Adam and the first Eve, what happened? Sin entered the world. And what was the prognosis? Death. So death had to be overcome to complete the process. If death was not overcome, the victory and the life that Jesus promises us wouldn't be a reality. Let's pack up and go home. But the resurrection is the power of life, the Spirit raising Christ Jesus from the dead, conquering sin and death. Sin and the consequences, eternal death, eternal damnation, eternal separateness from the Father, the creator of all things. And then third, see, confess, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And there's, a, there's an important distinction here. This is not confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior, Though he is, confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Because to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Savior is to receive the gift and to put it on your mantle. And to see it as an add-on to your already good life. And this is so what so many of us do in the Western world. We take Jesus and go, oh, that's great teaching. Those are good principles for living life. And we take that gift of Jesus and we put him on the mantle and we go to church. I would challenge you. That is not a condition I would want my heart to be in. That is not a place I would want my heart to be in. Because you have to ask the question, did you really truly receive that gift? If you didn't unpack it and explore it and walk in it, did you really receive it? Confess with your mouth that Jesus is no, not just Savior, that Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is going to be the one who shows you how to live and why to live and the purpose of your life. That Jesus is going to become the priority in which you live your life. That he's going to be lifted up above all other things. That you're going to submit to his leadership in your life. That you're going to die to yourself, picking up his life and his plans and his purposes and the cross daily. This is the gospel message. To admit that you don't have what it takes. To believe that Jesus is the son of God and that he died and he rose to conquer sin and death. And to confess with your mouth that Jesus is not just Savior, not just an add-on to your already good, plush, nice life in the West, but that Jesus is Lord, that Jesus requires sacrifice, that Jesus requires a reprioritizing of the way in which you live. And in that moment, you are born again, and we don't do this perfectly, and that's why the Spirit walks with us. But in that moment, you are born again. Your spirit, which was dead, becomes alive and you become new in Jesus. The Apostle Paul, he says it this way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. That's why Jesus can never be an add-on to your life. Because the old life 
the old priorities, the old heart, the old mindset, the, the old worldview. It's dead. It's dead. It's passed away. And Jesus comes and makes us new with a new heart, with new priorities, with a new way in which to live life. That's the work of Jesus. That's the work of our Savior. That's the work of our Lord. We become new in Christ Jesus. We become truly alive. We come to a place where we begin to live life in a way that absolutely fulfills us that takes us on an adventure that we never saw coming. He surprises us with grace and mercy and life along the way. This is the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Now, I wish I could tell you that after that moment, that life would just be rainbows and butterflies. I wish I could tell you that that when we give our lives to Jesus, and, and there is a gospel out there, particularly in the West. Again, we, we, we kind of classify it as a bit of a prosperity gospel. That once you come to Jesus, everything's going to be unicorns and butterflies. That you're going to have the car and the house and the great family and the great circumstance and everything's going to be rosy and you're just going to skip through this world sharing Jesus with everybody around you. The reality is the gospel message doesn't promise us that. Jesus says, in this world, you will have trouble. In this world, you will have trouble. That's a promise. That's not a promise that we put up on the fridge and quote every day. But that's an observation of our Savior who knew the reality of what it was to follow Jesus in a broken world. The reality of what it is to follow Jesus in a, in a mindset that's around us is so significantly different than a biblical worldview. In this world, you will have trouble, but it doesn't stop there. It says, but fear not. Take courage. Take heart. I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. The enemy of our souls, Satan, who's a real person, by the way, really the prince and the ruler of the skies of this earth for a season, for a time. We talked about angels and and, and demons and, and Satan two weeks ago, and if you want to listen to that, you can go and listen to that online. But he's going to do everything he can to dissuade you. He's going to do everything that he can, particularly you that are new to faith, There's something about that season, that baby moment in faith, that the enemy just comes. And I've had conversations with some of you where you're you're fairly new to just reconnecting with this God and, and your faith. And in that season is when everything seemed to hit the fan. It's because there's an enemy that wants you to either reject that gift of Jesus or if he can, if he can, you to receive it, but put it on the mantle. Because if he can do one of those two things, he can keep you from growing in faith. He can keep you from maturing in Jesus. He can keep you from becoming a mighty warrior for the kingdom of God, exacting change in this world with the way you live your life. He's going to try to get you to do one of those two things. 
And in these moments and in these times, Jesus, in John 16, 33, says, I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. You don't have what it takes. You don't have what it takes. But Jesus changes everything. And maybe you're here and you're, you're one of two people. You're here, you're exploring faith in Jesus. What's this all about? You've been kind of connecting with our community of faith and just kind of feeling this thing out, kind of dipping your toes in the water. What's going on? Listen, you need to know that God loves you. God is for you. God wants relationship with you. But the only way it happens is through Jesus. You have to answer the question. Here's the problem. Christianity can never just be good principles and good practices. This could never be our faith. When you read scripture, it, it's never good enough to just live good principles and good practices. Scripture demands an answer to the question. What will you do with Jesus? Because either he's the son of God, who is the way to save us from our brokenness, or he's not. You can't just come to church on Sunday and live good principles and practices. Christianity, Scripture demands an answer to the question, what are you going to do with Jesus? And maybe you're here and you say, Lucas, I don't have what it takes. Like so many in this room who have already come to this conclusion and they're so rooting for you right now like so rooting for you but you would say Lucas I don't have what it takes I need a savior to step in I've tried everything else it leaves me empty it leaves me unfulfilled for a little bit it's good and then it just dries up and today in front of these witnesses who are rooting for you, who love you, you would say, that's me. And you just throw your hand up at me right now. The Spirit of God is speaking to your heart with his love. Or, or you've, if you really look and take an honest inventory of your life, you would say, you know what, Lucas? I've received Jesus but he's kind of just sitting as an add-on to my life. He's sitting on the mantle. And I haven't really been unpacking and exploring and taking a journey with him. I come to church and I commune with believers, and, but he's sitting on my mantle. I haven't really received the fullness of what he wants to do in and through me. At this time, I'm just going to ask everybody to close their eyes and bow their heads for a moment. Because I just want to create a safe place. And if that's you, you say, Lucas, that's me, man. Jesus is just an add-on to my life. I need to start unpacking him. I need to start opening that gift of salvation. 
and life. Let's pray together. If you just repeat with me, Lord Jesus, I admit that I don't have what it takes, that I am a sinner, that I am broken, and that I need a Savior. I believe that you are the Son of God, that you died and that you rose again to forgive my sins and to give me life eternal. I confess that you are Lord and not just my Savior, that you are Lord. Have your way in my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we just give it up? Scripture says that anybody that comes into the kingdom, the angels throw a party.